I'm Nicole and this is Eerie Encounters. So today's episode we have, it's quite interesting I would have to say, I absolutely love diving into the history of this place, but it is in Wales. And for those of you out there that have never tried to pronounce Welsh words, this is going to be an experience. So the English language, we don't really have any kind of interesting mouth sounds, do we? No, I certainly don't. I've got a Cockney accent, so I'm about to absolutely butcher this, I think. <laughs> no, not at all. But our Cockney accent or my Southern accent is just not built to be able to try and pronounce any kind of Welsh word. So what I've done is I've gone and tried to spell it out for myself so that I will probably, I will say this in advance, I apologise to any Welsh speakers out there. I am doing my best. I've spent hours listening to different pronunciations and how to say things, but I'm probably going to butcher some of them. It's just the way it is. I apologise. Just bear with me. Please don't shout at me. I'm doing my best. So we are talking about Rhythin Castle in North Wales. So first off, I had to learn how to pronounce the hotel's name correctly because Ruthin Castle was actually spelt Ruthin if you were from the English-speaking areas. And so when you look at it and you say the name, you're like, well, that's, that's not how it's spelled. It's not how it's spelled. So yes, first off, looking at Ruthin Castle, and this place has a fantastic 700-year history. It has been there for so long. And as a result of that, it has these amazing ghost stories attached. So I'm going to talk to you about the ghost stories as well. So I think to start off, we should really identify where it is in North Wales. So it is in the county of Dingbigshire in North Wales, which I've probably just gone and murdered. And it's within the Clydeth Range in North Wales. And that is a mount- like a mountain range in North Wales. The actual castle itself is in a prime location you can understand why they built this castle where they did it it's on top of a hill overlooking the town of Rhythin, and it has these ideal places to walk to cycle to hike and it's easy access to snowdonia national park which is where one of our biggest tallest mountain happens to be and the beautiful beaches of ready here we go Flandered no. Hey. I think I did that one all right. I think if I was ever going to build a castle, this is where I think I would want to put it. Because this castle's been there for so long, it's actually undergoing quite a lot of restoration. And so because of that, the ghosts tend to come out and play a bit more. So there is this thought that I'm sure you've heard of, that these ghosts get a bit disturbed when there is any kind of refurbishment and things are changing. Which I kind of understand. If somebody came along to my home and suddenly started, I think I would be, oi, no, hey, it's, been, it's, it's been that way for so long. You know, who do you think you are knocking that wall down and moving, moving that, that furniture? Yeah. yeah, totally. I can might tend, go and do that whilst you're sleeping one night, just sneak in and move, rearrange your furniture and you'll get up in the morning going, what on earth has happened? I think if I was a ghost, I would do that. I think I would, <laughs> I would go and like move all the pictures around. and you do yeah. turn things upside down just to spook people? Yeah, that, that feels a bit more demonic. So I probably would just move things around or I would sort of go and put all the food in the pantry and then the stuff that was in the fridge, in the cupboards and like, yeah. This particular castle, so Rithin has quite a lot of the medieval structure still remaining. So if you look at the pictures of it, which we'll put on our social media, so Instagram, Facebook, you will see that there is a lot of the outside curtain wall still standing. There is the original gatehouse. There's also some turrets still remaining. And again, they're having to stabilise some of it because it has become undermined over time. And they haven't necessarily put the money in to keep this area as pristine as it could be. So there's lots of stuff going on. And the other thing is that this particular area is a scheduled ancient monument. The grounds are a historic park and garden, and it is in a conservation area itself. And the hotel building, which is not as old as the the walls and the grounds outside, is actually a grade two listed building. So any refurbishment, restoration, they have to get permissions from all these different associations, which you can understand because you want to keep the integrity of the area. So I have to admit, I got most of the stuff that we're going to talk about today off of the Britain Castle Hotel website. All of the links of all of the places that I got this information will be in our show notes. And so 
I'm hoping you won't mind if we go back to the beginning. Sounds good. So the castle itself started in 1277. And prior to that time, the history is a bit more vague. They think that it was used back in the Iron Age. So so surely there's got to be something there, some kind of ghost stories associated with the place. And it was thought prior to 1277 that a wooden structure stood where the current castle stands today. As I said, the first documented time that the castle appears is in 1277. It's associated with King Edward I of England and his campaigns to take over Wales. So as with most history, there was a little bit of argy-bargy back in the good old days where we decided, or the English decided, that there's some land over there. Looks pretty nice. I'm going to take it for myself. Thank you very much. We were quite known for that, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, we, we have this tendency to... I think we're also a bit kleptomaniacs as well. We seem to just take things from people and go, what, is it yours? <laughs> I have to... Something funny. The Elgin Marbles that is currently in one of the museums in London. I was like, why is everyone going on about these marbles? What on earth is going on? Thinking... They were marbles, <laughs> not pieces of marble that were then crafted into these beautiful pictures. So I'm like, what? What's all this? You just thought they were like swapping yeah. marbles in like a playground somewhere. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, what on earth? Why are they going on about these marbles? I mean, they're just giant bits of forms of currency in the 12th century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that just shows what I was thinking. But yeah, we are kleptomaniacs. We like to take everything and steal it and bring it back to the country and then pretend that we don't have it or that we are not going to give it back to the people that it rightfully belongs to. But anyway, that's a different matter. So during the time when Edward I was on the throne, he started a successful campaign with David Ap Griffith, and he became an ally of King Edward I in the invasion. And so as a result of his help to take over Wales, David is given the area where Rithin stands today. But five years later, David had a change of heart. And so whilst David initially supported the taking over of Wales by the English, he then rises up against Edward, attacks another castle called Howden Castle. And then, because of this, he is captured, found guilty of high treason by Edward, who has him executed in the cruelest possible fashion. Okay, so the cruelest possible fashion... Possibly something like being hung, drawn and quartered. And the quarters were dispatched to the four corners of the country. Yeah. And his head was spiked atop the Tower of London. Pretty nasty. And so he decides that because David is no longer part of the area, he is going to move his allegiance and give Rithin and the area that Rithin stands on to Reginald de Grey. Yeah, from a ghost hunting point of view... You may have a little bit of unfinished business. I mean, your body is literally at this point in four parts of the country, and your head is in a completely different country. So you can imagine the fact that somebody's going to be wandering around looking for their arms and their legs and their head may keep you active. Definitely. And then this guy called Reginald Grey comes in, and he starts doing what he wants to do on the site. So he, at that time, is charged with building the castle that is seen today. There is different information out there about how much is from David's time of the castle. It is thought that most of the stuff that you see there now is from Reginald Grey's time, so during period of about 1282 onwards. And so Reginald de Grey is the reason why they think it's him is because they've looked at other areas that he was involved with. It looks like his style. So obviously he's the man behind it, planning it. He's gone, this is what I want. Someone else has come along because I highly doubt he was building any of the castle. He's going to have people come in and do it for him. But it looks similar to the castles that he's already done something to. And so the attack on Howden is actually really important because that really starts off another war. Yay! Again, British history, we seem to like to fight each other. And so it goes on to be the final conflict with the English monarchy leading to the loss of Wales, Welsh independence. So it becomes an area that is occupied and controlled by the English, much to the Welsh population's chagrin. I think I'd be pretty annoyed if someone came along and said, this is mine now. 
Again, we did that too. We did, we did. Look at the British Empire. I know. <laughs> we go, oh, there's a bit of land. Must be mine. So the castle that was built in Rithin was originally called Castle Koch near Gwynefor. Yep, totally butchered that as well. Or the Red Castle in the Great Marsh, which I think, lovely name. We'll go with that. Easier yeah. to say. We'll go with the Red Castle in the Great Marsh. And it consisted of a pentagonal upper bailey which is about 350 feet long and 250 feet wide. And then there was some discrepancies with the ground levels. So the ground was actually different height to outside and inside. And then the ground sloped down to the river below. And the other side of the castle was protected by a deep and wide dry moat, which is still there today. You can see that when you go and visit. It's pretty cool. And I have to say, there are so many peacocks on this ground beautiful and they just wander around and they've got their babies and it's very cute and yeah i enjoyed the peacocks yeah and compare that to the tower of london where there's ravens i think i'd go with the peacocks as well prettier and those walls that are part of the curtain wall are made from limestone and sandstone so it's limestone on the outside sandstone on the inside and they are approximately nine foot thick that's pretty incredible. So let's move on to a little bit more about Reginald Grey and who he was. And I think he may have some unfinished business too with the area. So Reginald Grey, he was brought in because he was a noted military leader and he was brought in by Edward to quell the rebellion of the Welsh. The de Grey family remained at Rithin Castle and they clung to their domain through various upsets and throughout the War of the Roses. Because they were military experts and men of outstanding ability in affairs of state, they endeared themselves to the monarchy. And you'll find that during this time, it's actually very turbulent when it comes to the monarchy. Several changes in who was in charge which was quite interesting as I was researching this. I'm like, how many is it there are between 1400s and the 1500s? So it was like seven different monarchs. I was like, this is getting complicated. So it took me quite a while to unpack what was actually happening. So the de Grey family were very loyal. And because of their loyalty, they endeared themselves to King Richard II. Unfortunately, he was deposed. So Henry came along, said, Oi, you, this is my throne. Richard went, All right, I'll step aside for you. You just don't kill me. But But we all know where this one's going. They they went, okay, he, he did go, yes, yes, step aside, I'll take over. He became Henry the Fourth, and Richard was no longer in charge. But then they found that there were some barons and lords trying to get Richard back on the throne. At which point Henry IV decides that that's it. We do not need Richard II. So they kill Richard II. Anyway, so Reginald de Grey during Henry IV's time is really important because he is asked to help Henry in his desires to take more land. So he has now got his eyes and his sight set on Scotland. He's not happy with Wales. We don't just want Wales, we want Scotland as well. And we're back to taking things that don't belong to us again. <laughs> Scotland is our next point of where we're going to go and attack next. And so Henry, because he needs an army, writes to Reginald de Grey and goes, look, mate, I need some men. We need to go knock on the door of Scotland. And to do that, because it's probably going to get really nasty and really bloody, can I have as many as you got? Tell all the barons about it. One of those barons was Erwin Glandower. To be honest, I don't think I said it right there, so I apologise. And so he said, look, can we have some more men? Can you tell all the barons, including Erwin? But Reginald didn't pass the message on. Why, you may ask? Well, Reginald went, hmm, he's got some nice land over there. I want that land. So instead of telling him that the king needs some men and that he should go and get some men and send it to Henry. He goes, I'm not going to tell him because then he'll fall out of favour with the king and I can have his land. What is it with these people and land? However, Erwins goes, well, I don't understand because everyone else around him has been told they need men. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm being snubbed by King Henry. What have I done wrong? And then all of a sudden he has a light bulb moment and he's like, hang on a minute. This comes back to Reginald. So what happens next is that Reginald has to deal with the uprising of Erwin because he goes, you know what? 
no, you're not having my land. And so Erwin uprises, they have a little bit of an argy-bargy, and then as a result of that, Erwin gets Reginald's land. I mean, it's just like this ridiculousness. I mean, I don't quite understand what it is, why people are so obsessed with land. I guess it's a good kind of currency. I mean, your bit of land for my bit of land for this bit of land. I guess you can do stuff with it, you can build stuff on it, but why are they literally obsessed with I want your land, no you want that land, no you want that land. I mean to be honest, I would be wanting a little bit of money. Maybe a place to put some flowers, buy a holiday home. But if you're just getting land, that's just a lot of work. That's that's a lot of maintenance and a lot of places to clean. So so on the eighteenth of September in fourteen hundred, during the preparation of the Great Fair on St Matthew's Day, which is the twenty first of September Erwin got his revenge by hitting the town of Ruthin. So he comes in, he starts to burn everything, and he goes and loots, and he attacks the area. Do you know, when you said hitting, I actually thought you meant going out on a bender and painting the town red. Maybe you did. I, yeah, let's go and hit it with... The, no, he went in and he burnt it down. Oh, he's he painting the town red. Yeah, and so he was pretty upset by the fact that Reginald was doing the naughty and trying to get his land. So he goes, gets his revenge, but he doesn't take the castle at that point, which is interesting because he doesn't get the castle until two years later and it's not even in Rhythm. So he catches up with Reginald Grey two years later in Brinsath Machong that Erwin caught and he took him by ambush, took him captive and then put a nice ransom on Reginald Grey's head because the Grey family, pretty well off. So they're like, yeah, he can afford it. So... You can have him back if you give us 10,000 marks. Sounds like a lot of money to me. Yeah, in those days, that would have been. And because of that ransom, it actually caused the downfall of the Grey family over time because that ransom just kind of hung over their head. So along came Henry. He went, right, we need to get Reginald back. I'm going to go and I'm going to negotiate with Erwin and say, yes, we'll give you the 10,000 marks. The de Grey family has had to go and sell some property down in Kent to get the money and they get Reginald back. So de Grey's happy, Erwin's happy because he went and got 10,000 marks. Everyone's happy, apart from the king, because he's like, you are naughty. Yeah, that's probably the person you want to keep happy. You don't really want to go around upsetting the king. And he's gone, I uphold the fact that you were ransomed for 10,000 marks. Like, he didn't go, actually... Just just give them five, it will be fine. And he did this negotiation on the de Grey family's behalf as well. So you would have thought there would have been something in there that he might have gone, hang on a minute, a little bit less money, please. But they, they got him back. As I said, never fully recovered from the loss inflicted by that heavy ransom. So de Greys have some unfinished business at Rithin. So a hundred years later, Rithin Castle was still in the hands of the de Grey family. They're having some hard times. They're struggling a bit. But around the 1500s, this is when the connection with the castle ends. So about 1508, the de Greys move away from Rithin. And this is because the 5th Baron of Rithin and 2nd Earl of Kent, George de Grey, has to pretty much sell the castle because of his father's gambling debts. Isn't that sad? Oh, my poor family. I mean, they've already been through so much. Someone's gambling debts has resulted in them having to sell off Britain Castle. But they hadn't necessarily upkept the area. Well, maybe they were like, oh, well. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit of a fixer-upper. Yep, that's done. On to the next. It'll be on Homes Under the Hammer <laughs> next week. <laughs> and for those of you not in the UK, that's a TV programme where they go in and they get like the really worst rundown houses. They've got no floors, no heating, no windows. And then in six weeks, it becomes their rental property and they're making all this money from it. So I could see that happening with Rithin. As we said, location, 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 it's on a hill. And so that castle was sold to Henry VII. And from Henry VII, it passed to King Henry VIII. And as you may know from history, he had quite a bit of a sordid relationship with several ladies. And one of those, well, actually three of those ladies have ties back to Rhythm Castle. Did you know that? Do you know I didn't know that? And I love Tudor history. It's actually my favourite part of history. Do you reckon it's because it's so bloody and so... I think so. so. All the stories and the kings and queens. It's like historical EastEnders. 
People Not in the UK. That's a soap based in London. It's a bit doom and gloom, it's isn't it? Very much. You basically do not want to live on this street. You either get killed off, you're in debt. Oh yeah, you're in car accidents. Yeah. So nobody lives very long there, and if they do, they have a lot of bad luck. But yeah, so that's kind of Tudor history. In yeah. fairness, everyone is sleeping with each other and killing yeah, each other off. about right. And, and they're yeah. all related somehow to each yeah. other, which is another thing. So this is how three of Henry's wives are linked back to Britain Castle. So Ida de Grey, who was also known as Edith de Grey, was born in Britain Castle and was the daughter of Reginald Grey, the second baron. Grey de Rithin, and he was one of the most powerful Welsh marcher lords of the time, so he was a pretty big deal. Ida went on to marry Sir John Cockenay, I think that's how you say it, who knows, chief baron of the Exchequer, and they had six children. Keep with me here, I promise we're getting getting there, because as I said, it's very complicated. Their eldest daughter, Elizabeth, happened to have two marriages. Her first marriage resulted in two children, and her second marriage resulted in another five children with Sir Lawrence Cheney of Fenditton, Sheriff of Cambridge. Again, these titles are pretty awesome. I mean, I wouldn't mind one of these titles. And Elizabeth Cheney is the great-grandmother of three of the queens that were associated with King Henry. Can you guess which ones they are? You've got six to pick from. <laughs> okay, let's go with the ones that have the um, the most British yeah. connections. So... Yeah. Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Jane Seymour. Yeah. And I'll say one of the Catherines. Ooh, which Catherine? Let's go with Catherine Howard. It is, oh. yeah. So, so Elizabeth Cheney happens to be the great-grandmother of Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour and Catherine Howard. So again, lots of things all seeming to come back to Britain. And if anyone should be haunting anywhere, it's Anne Boleyn and Catherine. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But to be honest, but to be honest, all three of them had untimely deaths. So they could all be visiting at some point at the castle. But yeah, it's a pretty, as I said, this history, fascinating. Actually, I did not know that those three were related. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, Harry likes to keep it in the family. Well, that's the monarchy, isn't it? At one point, I believe someone was about to marry their sister because it meant that they would be able to keep stuff in the family line and strengthen their claim to the throne whilst I was doing this research. And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds like the English. (laughs) No offence, English monarchy, we love you. Oh, wow. So Henry then granted the use of Rithincastle to his bastard son, Henry Fitzroy. And after Fitzroy's early demise, it was passed on to someone called Ambrose Dudley, Earl of Warwick. That's really difficult to say. Yeah, um, we could say the Welsh name, yeah, and Welsh it, was, it was Warwick that for us. Yeah. <laughs> Warwick has, like, yeah, really caused me problems. And so he was apparently a great man with deep affection for the Welsh and their culture. And to be honest, I pretty much love the Welsh culture. I think it's pretty cool. And it turns out from my ancestry DNA, I am quite a lot Welsh. <laughs> See, that's why you're able to roll your R's and do it I think I'm more Scottish than I am Welsh, but there's a bit of Welsh in me. So anyway, so as a result of all of this, it passed from Henry VIII to Edward VI, and briefly it then went to Lady Jane Grey. And so Lady Jane Grey is another tragic figure within the monarchy. So she was also known as the Nine Day Queen, and she was a, a descendant of Reginald Grey, third baron, Grey de Britain. So again, going all the way back to Britain Castle. It's really interesting, isn't it? How it all keeps going backwards to, to the castle. I can forget that you can't see me, but I'm literally sitting here wide-eyed, mouth open, like, listening to the story. <laughs> Wait until we get to the ghost bit. I know. That's the best bit. And so it continues that Lady Jane Grey was this English noblewoman who had a claim to the throne. And so she was put on the throne, but then executed for high treason when allegiances changed within the the factors that were warring over who should be sat on the throne. And so the great-granddaughter of Henry VII by his younger daughter, Mary, Jane was the first cousin once removed of Edward VI. So you can see why she is got that claim. So there is some relationship there. So because there was this conflict between who should be on the throne should it be mary should it be jane 
As a result of Jane being executed, Mary I, or Bloody Mary, as she quickly became known as, succeeded Lady Jane Grey, and from her, the castle passed to Elizabeth, so the castle keeps getting passed along down the royal line. Elizabeth I, James I, and the final royal owner of the castle was Charles I. So, and then we know what happened to Charles I. Yeah, that didn't end very well for him either. It did not end very well for him. So it's just incredible that all of this is all interrelated. You're like, oh, that's interesting. It is, yeah. So in 1632, King Charles I was forced to search for new monetary resources because apparently the buying power of coinage in the country fell dramatically. It's a bit like, I guess, what we're seeing now, a bit of inflation going on. And so he decided that he was going to sell Rithin Castle. And so, again, at this point, it had been poorly maintained. And so, to be honest, it was probably a bit of a burden to the monarchy. And they were like, oh, well, we'll sell this off. And they sold it on to Sir Thomas Middleton of Chirk. And so, at this point, it said that there was a survey done on the castle, because obviously he's looking for ways to get more money. And the survey stated that the castle was not worth quarrying for its stone, as the original quarries were easier to work and the gatehouse had a decayed roof of slate and included the wooden joists, doors and hinges. It was valid at no more than five pounds. Oh, wow. Bargain. I know. I don't know what five pounds would have been, would be today. Probably quite a lot, but yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind buying a castle for five pounds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even if it is a bit of a fixer up. <laughs> yeah. So the next big historical event in Britain's past happens to be the Civil War in the 1600s. So we're now looking at 1642, when the English Civil War caused the need for the castle to be repaired quickly. So they go, oh, hang on a minute, Rithin's at a nice strategic point. We've now got the Civil War with parliamentarians and the royalists. We better do something about this. We might want to fix those holes (laughs) and just put a roof back on. So they came along, paid for the repairs, And you kind of go, well, you could have done that a while ago, but you decided to sell it. So anyway, they go and repair Rithin Castle so that it can be the strategic point that it is. And so it was garrisoned against the parliamentarians. So that's not the royalists, it's the other guys. It does sound a little bit like a rugby game. Yeah. Our history is just very complicated on who's who and who's fighting who and who wants which bit of land and... So, who's marrying who and who's related to who and who's keeping it in the family? Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, just fabulous history. Four years later, in 1646, parliamentary forces under the command of Major General Mitten were given the task of reducing the castles of North Wales, making Rithin a target. So the castle withstood an 11 week siege. Isn't that cool? They obviously did well fixing those holes. Obviously, if they managed yeah. to survive for 11 weeks in there. Gorilla tape and, um, yeah, heavy sealant. Good, good. That's a job. And so during that time, those walls were massively attacked with artillery, which you can understand. As I said, these walls are nine foot thick. So oh, yeah. they're pretty substantial walls. And the 11 weeks, the defenders surrendered only when the attacking force announced their attention to mine the walls. So... Yeah, that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at that point, they're like, well, if that's what you're doing, you might as well come in. At least that's what I would say. Go on then, I've come just, in. I've just rebuilt these yeah, walls. Yeah, do you mind? Do you mind if you... Just use the front door, it's fine. Yeah. So in 1648, the castle was partially dismantled after an Act of Parliament was passed to stop the reoccupation of fortresses by hostile forces. So, okay... I get it why they would take it down. But as I said, that is actually quite a lot of the area still standing that is from the medieval period. And you can still see that today. Again, I've put an aerial shot onto our Instagram. You can see those curtain walls and those turrets and the moat and it's beautiful. And so the walls were torn down with the timber and stone carted away for use elsewhere. So many houses in Rutten are actually built from the original stone from the castle. So we're going to jump again in 1826. So we're getting a bit closer to the 1900s. So this is when the building that you see today, that is the hotel, was built. So that is why it's only a grade two listed, because it dates back originally around the 1800s. And so as a result of the wealthy Middleton family buying the castle, they invested heavily in creating and extending the residential castle mansion. 
and they invested in many repairs to the medieval castle ruins and also they went and laid out the gardens and grounds that you see today. So this is really when they did a lot of building and new building. And the first portion of the Stone Castle mansion was built within the medieval Stone Castle ruins. So in 1826 and in 1848, Frederick Richard West, son of Frederick West, commissioned Henry Clutton to rebuild part of the castle erected by his father. So he's gone, Dad's done this, we need some more done, can you come in and sort it out for me? So the main block at that time is partially demolished, which I do think is a bit of a shame. So his dad went and put all this effort in and he goes, nah, knock it down, we'll add some more. But he replaced that with a three-storey, castellated building in red sandstone with octagonal corner towers and the northern wing, which intrudes into the garden layout, was added sometime after 1879. So that's really the building we see today. So we're getting there. We're almost there. We're up to the 1900s now. So in the 1900s, Rhythm Castle and its mansion gained most notoriety when owned by the Cornwallis West family. Have you heard of these guys? No. So they are associated with some kings and with some members of parliament. The Cornwallis West family evolved from the Middleton family. So when people have their surnames lost because they only have daughters and sons don't carry on the family name, the Middleton family moved into the Cornwallis West family. And Colonel Cornwallis West's wife, Patsy, again another nice big tongue twister there, is said to have come embroiled in a love affair with Edward, Prince of Wales, who later became King Edward VII. See, a little bit of love affairs going on here. Patsy, when she originally got married, she was 16 years old. So she got married at 16. I mean, that's just no age, is it? That's a baby getting married. And you wonder why she then finds love with someone else later on. Because how do you know what you want at 16? You just don't, do you? No, at 16. She was the height of society and she was a notorious flirt. And full of the joys of life, it says on the Rhythm Castle website, which she sounds pretty good. I want to meet her. I want to go out with her. And 16? Yeah. I think she's got her whole life ahead of her. Sorry. Hasn't been tarnished by life yet. No, <laughs> she, she's good at this point. And so Patsy frequently entertained the very height of Edwardian society at Rhythm Castle. So she had all these parties for the Prince of Wales, for politicians... Famous entertainers such as the actress Lily Langtree, Janine Jerome, and also Janine Jerome was also known as Lady Randolph Churchill. Churchill might be one of those names that you might know. That name rings a bell. Also, the mother of Sir Winston Churchill. And later on in life, she became Patsy's son's wife. Wow. Yeah. So she married... So Patsy married into the Cornwallis West family. And then she has her son, and who is George Cornwallis West. And he marries Lady Randolph Churchill. So he isn't the father of Winston Churchill. He happens to be a stepfather. See, complicated. But get this. When George and Janine married... He was 20 years younger than her and only 16 days older than her son, Winston. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, I wonder how Winston felt about that. I don't that. know. I guess probably similar to how people feel about that kind of thing now going... I guess nowadays, like, to have a woman that's older is not quite as unusual. But in those days, that would have probably, been really... would have been a talking point, yeah, in the, the society. Patsy also had two notable daughters during this time when she was married to into the Cornwallis West family. She had Sheila and she married the powerful Duke of Westminster to become the Duchess of Westminster. Pretty good title. And then she also had Daisy and she fell in love with a prince of her own. So not only is mummy sorting out Prince Edward and his needs, she goes off and she finds her own prince called Prince Hans Henrich of Pless. And he is part of a family owning enormous estates in southeastern Germany and considers fabulously wealthy. I wouldn't mind to be fabulously wealthy. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? But she had a fairy tale wedding, attended by world royalty, nobility, statesmen, members of high society. And when she arrived at her new home, her streets were aligned with crowds for miles and she developed a reputation similar to that more recent 
of Diana, Princess of Wales. However, tragically, the events of World War I turned Princess Daisy's world upside down and resulted in a divorce, bad health, death and poverty. So, <laughs> Not in that well, order. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, probably the death probably was after all of that. I mean... I mean, if you're dead, poverty doesn't seem quite so bad, does it really? <laughs> so we're almost at the present day. So in 1923, after the demise of the Cornwallis-West family, the castle was sold again and it became an eminent international private clinic for the investigation and treatment of obscure medical diseases. But it was closed in 1950. So it was a hospital. So there was a morgue somewhere. Oh, wow. And then there would have been people that died. There would have been nurses and doctors and all the good stuff that is usually associated with hauntings. So so as the location, you've got love affairs, you've got people being hung, drawn, quartered and spread across the yeah, country, yeah. and now you've got a hospital. Exactly. I mean, what more could result in like the perfect confluence of things to come together to cause hauntings? Bring them on. And so just up to the current day, 1960s, Fritton Castle was purchased and auctioned and converted into a hotel, which you can visit today. And their most notable guests since are King Charles III, and he stayed on his way to his investiture as Prince of Wales in 1969. And he was the 21st Prince of Wales since the title began in 1301. So, I bet you are wondering about the ghosts. I have been keeping you in suspense, haven't I, really? You have. I've been sitting here waiting with bated breath. There's so much history. As I have said, 700 years... With all those links to royalty and the big wigs of the day, I mean, why wouldn't it be haunted with that going on? In fairness, there's been a lot of upheaval and a lot of disruption, so yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, there have been a few sightings. So I got all of this information from various places. One of those happened to be the most haunted episode where they visit Rithin which happens to be one of the places that they love to investigate the most. And I must admit, I sat there going, been there, been there, been there, went in there. So I need to explain before we kind of get into the ghost stories. But I have visited Rithin Castle, which is another reason why I chose to do this particular location. And I took my grandma, my mum and my sister as my grandma's 80th birthday treat to a ghost hunt with the most haunted team so we got to meet Carl and Stuart my mum got a kiss from Carl and yeah it was very funny I really enjoyed my time at Rithin Castle I will tell you my experiences and I will also let you know the other things that people have reported so the most well-known ghost at Rithin Castle is Lady Grey or the Grey Lady and Lady Grey was a real person that has been attributed to the castle because her remains are actually buried just outside the castle walls because she found out that when she was living at Rithin Castle so she was there during Edward the first time so right back near the beginning so 1200s she has been spotted numerous times at Rithin wandering the corridors of the hotel and up on the battlements so she was the wife of the second in command at Rithin Castle when it was a fortress under Edward I. She found out that he was having an affair with a local peasant girl. And so what do you do when you find out your husband's cheating on you? You go after his mistress with an axe. As you do. And there was me thinking that you'd rather go after him as he's technically the one who's cheated on her. But hey. And she took an axe to her, she caught her, she killed her using this axe. So it has been reported by numerous guests and staff that there is a crazed lady wandering around the banqueting hall and the battlements wielding an axe as she goes, as one of the sightings. And I'm like, I want to see that! Do you know, I was going to say, as far as spirits and ghosts go, that's probably the last thing you're going to want to see. I mean, it's bad enough to see a ghost in your room anyway, let alone the fact she's standing there wielding an axe. Love it. You know I would. Let's be honest. Ah, so the woman who did the murdering haunts the place. Okay. Yes. Not the murdered person. Okay. Because she obviously was a bit naughty, they went and tried her for murder, understandably. She was charged and sentenced to death. She wasn't allowed 
because of the circumstances surrounding her death and execution, to be buried on consecrated grounds. None of the clergy were willing to let her be buried within their churchyards and stuff. So she is buried just outside the walls of Rithen Castle, and you can still see it today. There is a plaque up where her grave is. And they also have documentation to show that she was actually buried where they say she was buried. But as with everything, there is also rumours and people saying that she wasn't actually buried at Ripon Castle. She was buried in Shropshire. Who knows? Unless they're going to dig it up, which they're not allowed. We don't know whether she's actually there. So do they know if anyone's buried there? Someone said there's documentation of a burial in the grounds or just outside the grounds. I mean, if someone is buried there, but everyone thinks it's somebody else, yeah, that's going to make you feel really forgotten. Yeah. It's really sad. No wonder that she'll be haunting the place. It's not so nice, is it? But as I say, she likes to walk the castle halls looking for retribution. But then there are reports that say she is not a negative ghost. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't let the axe put you off. No. I actually found a couple of ghost hunters which are on YouTube and you can go and find them. So a little shout out. They're called Two Idiots at Splore, which made me laugh. <gasps> we so should have had that as our podcast name. Two Idiots. Oh, darn them for getting there first. Oh, that would have been brilliant. They spend some time doing some recording at Britain Castle and they are given a private tour of just inside the walls in the dungeon and stuff. And yeah, it's the gentleman that takes them around on this tour that says, that she isn't a negative spirit. You know, she's obviously just heartbroken, and now she's a crazed murderer. Can't hold it against her. But, you know... Yeah. I don't know what I would do. I think, yeah, I'd probably be killed, <laughs> done for murder, and executed, knowing my luck. I mean, you have threatened to put your husband in a hole for lesser things. That is true. That's because you didn't fill in the hole. So there are also sightings of a soldier... And for some reason, the soldier is only wearing one glove and he just wanders around the castle grounds. No one is really sure who he is, which I think is a bit sad, but it said that he doesn't necessarily interact with anyone. So I think he's just one of those that are just a replay of when they were alive at the time and he doesn't interact with anyone and he just seems to not even look and see what is around him as what it is now. I think he's just replaying what happened in the past. Ah, uh, more like a residual haunt? Yeah. There's also, according to the guys at Most Haunted who have done quite a lot of investigations there, lots of sounds of children who like to sing, whistle and make lots of noise. Awesome. I do like to make noise too. There's also been ghostly orbs and there's also lots of different places where you can go and investigate in the castle. Another one of the spirits is of a young mischievous girl who runs around in corridors and knocks on hotel guest doors. And when they get to the door, they open the door, look out. They see a little girl disappearing and she's giggling. And yeah, so she's going around making sure that all of the guests are awake, especially, which I think is quite sweet, isn't it? I mean, a mischievous child. I'll be quite happy with one of those. So the places that I went and investigated were the Undercroft, which is where they thought they kept the bodies when the building was a hospital, but they're not really sure. It's currently used for storage, and some people think that they kept people in there as well, like incarcerated them and jailed them in there. It's pretty full-on in there. Like, the atmosphere, I whilst I felt relatively comfortable, it's out, kind of outside, it's not very warm, it's in, confined. And so if anything was to kick off in there it would be pretty difficult to get out of there. And I think that probably heightens your suspense and your feeling of a, like your adrenaline going in that particular area. So I didn't really feel anything. There were some knocks, but I don't think there was necessarily anything that happened in the Undercroft. But people have witnessed in this area the sounds of crying and moaning as if people were in desperate pain and need. I think that's quite sad if people are in there and they're sad. You know, I think that's the thing. There's a lot of fear about spirits and ghosts, but what I think we need to remember is that these were people, and these people had hopes and dreams and families. Particularly if they were from the hospitals era, 
they were hoping to be cured at the hospital and obviously something didn't go well and they died, which very sad. The other place that we went and I've actually got a picture, I think if I can I will put it into our Instagram of me and my mum and my grandma and all of the people that did the investigation at the time I did. We went into the Great Hall or the Banqueting Hall and it is thought that Grey Lady is seen in this area and she's thought to be seen on the balcony. There's like a little balcony area, like a minstrel's gallery that is above the main banqueting hall. And most when Most Haunted were there, so this is in one of the extras, it was just Carl and Yvette on the minstrel's gallery and they were hearing tapping noises in response to their questions. He gets a bit shirty because she also asked them to, you know, where they do the taking out the keyboard on their phone and pointing to the different lines and getting them to spell out. Yeah, a bit like a spirit board. It spells out killer, which they weren't too happy about. And then Carl gets a bit angry and starts to swear at the spirit. And Yvette turns around and goes, can, can you please not do that whilst we're standing suspended over a hall? Which I can understand. I mean, if something's going to happen and they were going to drop you, you wouldn't want to be really... Well... No, you would want your feet firmly on the ground. And I suppose this could be the Grey Lady. Technically, she was a killer. So maybe she's just referring to herself. Maybe it's not a threat. Maybe it's just a statement. Exactly. And they also ask the spirits if the spirits mean them harm. And the spirits say that there are three of them there and one of them means them harm. They've also seen shadows that are flitting about on the walls of the banqueting hall. I have to say, I really enjoyed the banqueting hall. I thought the atmosphere in it was pretty good. Not much happened for us when I was there. A couple of knocks maybe, but didn't really seem to have much activity. But you never know. If you go back, you can always find some more. There are some bedrooms that are meant to be highly active. We need a girls' trip. Well, I was like, we have to go and stay in these rooms. So the two main rooms that have quite a lot of activity, and one of them I've actually been in, so there is the Lily Suite, which is room 204, and it's thought to be the most haunted in the castle. The Lily Suite is named after Lily Langtree, who is a famous British actress and one of Edward, Prince of Wales' lovers. She used to frequent the castle, and this was her favourite room, and it is thought that she appears in this room, and that there is still activity from her in this room. However, when you type in Lily Langtree's name into the internet, and have a search for her you will find she gets about a bit lily's ghost is meant to be seen in torquay london and bournemouth i love that she's a bit of a traveler she is indeed so she seems to be quite prolific at disappearing and appearing at different places around the country it'd be interesting to know if at one location they were getting something and at another location if they were getting something if it was the same spirit and if so how i mean oh i've seen one on many of the programs that i watch there was this investigator, and I can't remember now which one, but they sent someone as they knew that this ghost was apparently traveling to another location down the road. So they said to the spirit, we want you to remember this word. And when we get to the other location, we need you to tell us what the word is on the spirit box. And it did. So they told, I think the word was something silly like apple. And they then went to the other location and on the spirit box when they said to them what was the word we asked you to remember the word apple came through so yeah it's the word actually traveled too which i think is incredible and does show that spirits can travel between locations that would be awesome how, how would they know the word unless they were at the other place Ooh. So we spent some time in room 222, which is another one of the very active rooms. When we went into it, not much happened until Carl and Stuart arrived. So before they came, they did some table tipping. There was some EMF activity. It seemed the ghost really seemed to like my mum. It kept going back to my mum over and over again and lighting up the EMF meter she was pretty happy about she was like yeah the ghost likes me so your mum was enjoying it then. my mum was enjoying it she's like look it likes me they sung happy birthday to my grandma because we were doing it for her 80th birthday and i announced it to the room 
I think my grandma was pretty upset at that, but they all sung her happy birthday. And there was some tapping and stuff in response to that. Whilst we were also in the room, yeah. Oh, everyone sang happy birthday yeah. to her. And whilst we were in the room, grandma was sat on this nice looking comfy chair. And at one point, she kind of seemed to have like fall forwards and we were like you were right and i was like well maybe she fell asleep because she's nearly 80 and she nodded off so i was like oh maybe she's nodded off in our chair there but she swears to everyone that she was pushed so she might have been pushed interesting she also got quite shirty with the ghosts she kept shouting at them that she'd come all this way to see them and to hear them and that they should hurry up and do something I was like, Grandma, stop antagonising them. And she's like, no, I'm going to antagonise them because I've come all the way from Hampshire. Made me laugh. The When Most Haunted are doing an investigation in room 222, they hear doors slamming, footsteps. Glenn reports that he feels chills down his back, down his neck. There's also reports of furniture being moved about above the room but above the room it's actually derelict so no one can get up there we were allowed to go up there on a night but because i'm not so steady on my feet and the staircase was horrid i stayed down whilst they went upstairs and did some calling out upstairs as i said it all kicked off when carl and stuart arrived there was tappings and knockings and it seemed to respond to the questions that they were asking one of those questions was how many people are in the wardrobe it said one and carl and stuart were like what and it said there was one person in the wardrobe. And Carla Stewart are thinking, no, you've got to be wrong. There's no one in the wardrobe. Was there anyone in the wardrobe? A woman burst out of the wardrobe announcing that she was there. And they jumped so high. It was hilarious. A woman got in the wardrobe. Was it a guest? One of the guests that was on the ghost hunt, for some reason, decided she was going into the wardrobe. And Carla and Stewart asked how many people were in the wardrobe, not knowing she was in there until she burst out after they got the response of one. So yeah, needless to say, there was quite a lot of screaming at that point because she burst out and yeah, people didn't know that she she was necessarily in there, which... How did your gran react? She thought it was hilarious too. To be honest, I think at that point she was too busy being annoyed that I'd hit her with a door because as I came through a door, she was going behind it because it's a funny layout and I accidentally hit her with the door and all she did was complain about being hit by the door. So... Yeah, you know, because my sister is deaf, she actually uses something called um, a Roger, or she calls it a Roger, but it's like a microphone which people wear around their necks so she can hear them individually. And she said all she could hear was my grandma muttering about how I hit her with the door. She's like, Nikki, did you see that? Nikki hit me with the door. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to. Because Kaylee is deaf, they suggested that she went to the bathroom and felt the knocks and bangs through the floor of the bathroom don't think she was too happy with this because you know it was a bathroom and not sure she was happy about that but i thought it was funny the other thing that i thought was really interesting was that it was silent we're all sat in room 222 and then all of a sudden kaylee jumps a mile it turns out that the table she was sat next to and lying next to had mirrored surfaces so she'd seen her reflection and jumped and gave herself a shock because she'd seen herself i thought that was hilarious do you know have you ever done scrying no i've not done scrying i have and this is another story so i'm sure i'll talk about this in more detail at a later date but it is the scariest thing your face distorts and changes doesn't it so i've done it a few times and most of the time i haven't had anything but there was this one experience and Again, I'm sure I'll go into more detail at another point, but this man's face changed in front really? of me and it was the weirdest thing. It was, we all saw it and, oh, it was so creepy. That is quite creepy. And I'm now getting chills and it's getting dark. So, nope, 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 nope. The other things that I heard in this room are growls. There was a growl on the staircase going up to the area above room 222 and also the floor shaking a bit. But then they were, I believe, at the time, the castle was completely empty. So it shouldn't have really been shaking because it's an old place. So the floorboards aren't necessarily always stable. So who knows what happens with that? I did a bit of digging because I am very sad. And I googled to find if I could see any ghost stories on the internet. And I found from TripAdvisor, and this is from 2019, And this is a couple who stayed in a mini moon in the haunted room 222. 
So I got to Rithin and checked in, asked about room 222, Lily's room and the Prince of Wales room. So the, the three different rooms that are meant to be pretty haunted. Originally, they had been given room 203, but were told we could look around at all the rooms and have a free upgrade to 222 if we dared. If it was me, I'd be like, yes, give me 222 right now. I'm going in. I'm taking my Ouija board. I'm taking everything. Just let me in. Anyway, my new wife was very keen to take the upgrade. Myself, not so much. I'd seen the most haunted and heard the stories. Bless. Anyway, so they had a complimentary cream tea, which was very nice. They're in room 222 on the first night. They're settling in and they receive a phone call from the reception asking if they were okay and promising the porter would come and move them in the middle of the night to another room if they needed to. Wouldn't you be a bit creeped out at that point? Yeah, well, that's really good service, but also not particularly what you want to hear. The person continues, safe to say, I was a nervous wreck. Really? I wouldn't have thought. However, nothing happened. It's a bit of a letdown. If you get yourself a bit all, like, like ready for it, you want something to happen. I don't know, That's maybe that's me. They also say no ghosties for the second night. On the morning they left, they asked about the dungeon and were given a personal tour of that and the torture chamber. So I never got to see this and I didn't realise you could ask and go down and see it. So I would love to do that next time I'm there. So someone else I found, I believe this is from the actual Facebook page of Britain Castle. He's been lucky enough to stay in the Lily Suite, which has just had a nice makeover, so it looks pretty cool now. If you're ever after a hotel that has rooms full of history, character and intrigue, then we have them by the bucket load here at Britain. One of the most talked about is undoubtedly room 204, named after the actress socialite Lily Langtree, a frequent visitor to the castle over 100 years ago. She's described as beautiful, ambitious, formidable, a phenomenon of the age. Her lovers included H.R.H. Edward, Prince of Wales, whilst Oscar Wilde famously labelled her as undoubtedly the most desirable woman in the world. I can say that this is very true. The room is lavish, extravagant and stylish, just like the lady herself. And then there is a response to this particular post on Facebook and it says, It is haunted! Exclamation point, exclamation point. I was there a few years ago with my partner and took a pic of her stood at the top of some steps in a corridor. I took two shots within seconds and the first pic was normal, but the second pic had a huge orb right beside her. We were staying in the Patsy suite and Shelley was being woken up by something I kept getting woken up by some disembodied voice of a woman whispering in my ear. Then there was a swarm of flies in the window. Definitely haunted. Loved it. People after my own heart. Loved it. And that's really all of the the stories, ghost stories associated with Ripping Castle. My personal opinion about it, I don't necessarily think that I saw enough evidence to feel it was haunted. But then maybe that is the sceptic in me talking. Because as they say, if you are a believer, all evidence points in the right direction, whereas if you are a non-believer... There's never enough evidence to make you believe. So I don't know. It all got more interesting when Carl and Stuart came. The question is, was that real? Because it was quite quiet beforehand. All of a sudden they turn up, it kicks off, then they go away and it's dead again. You kind of go, well, what's happening there? Well, it could be one of two things, I guess. Um, I guess it could be the fact that if they investigate that location a lot then maybe the spirits know them i mean i've had that before i did an investigation at 30s drive which is a brilliant one by the way we need to go oh girls trip anyway um losing my track but the man that was running the investigation there um he solely does that location so it's almost like he's on personal terms with the spirits there if you will so i guess you'd be more open to talking to um, somebody you know who regularly comes to your home than a complete stranger. Makes sense. Maybe if I go back, then something else might happen. I mean, one of the other interesting things that happened was the cat balls. The cat balls that light up without when someone touches it or the cat interacts with it, it then starts flashing. We were sat in one of the rooms where there is a fireplace and there's a story about someone being pushed into the fireplace and killed. I can't quite remember off the top of my head all of the details about this one. 
but one of the catbulls was placed upon the large shelf that sits above the fireplace and kept flashing when questions were being asked and i have to say that whenever they were doing like seances or whatever i i volunteered my grandma every time i was like yeah grandma ah. do it ah. go on they're doing a seance sit off you go grandma they did table tipping off you go grandma she's like would you stop it i will hit you with the door again i think she really enjoyed it so i'm gonna try and take her on some more <gasps> definitely yes she can join our girls trips so that was the incredible written castle i hope you enjoyed thank you all so much for listening if you have any stories anything that you would like to share with us please do you can find us at our website which is eerie-encounters.co.uk you can also find us on all the social media so we're on facebook and instagram mainly if you'd like to email us to podcast at eerie-encounters.co.uk and you may well hear your ideas, suggestions and stories on a later episode. So with all of that done, I've been Nick. And I'm still Sarah. <laughs> I don't know about that. And this is Eerie Encounters. And we'll speak to you next week.